Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's an absolute blessing and, and privilege to be able to uh, bring the word to you again. Uh, good morning down there at First Christian. It is a, uh, a mind-boggling, uh, an absolute blessing uh, of an experience to get a phone call from Jim and having you ask for me to do another video, or at least many of you. Uh, so what a, what, a, what a blessing for me just to be able to keep preaching the word uh, from all the way across the country. You know, Jim says it's 98 degrees down there the other day. Uh, we just broke 50 and uh, almost put on tank tops and shorts up here. So, you know, sunshine is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Uh, so, but this morning, uh, this morning I would love to dive into John chapter 3. And I absolutely love it. I love it when, when you're studying the Word for yourself, and this is how this message came about. I was reading my own uh, personal devotions and just trying to figure out what to do for this Sunday, and God made His Word come alive. And I hope that's the, the case for you. I hope it's true for you many times in your own devotional life where God just opens it up and reveals things to you, and you can't help but be filled with joy and smile. And, and this is what... This was for me having a greater understanding of the end of John chapter 3 verses 22 through 36. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at the comparison between uh, John the Baptist's ministry and the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I titled this message, Who Do We Follow? Who do we follow, John or Jesus? And I kind of gave it a little subtitle as well. It says, uh, uh, whose ministry is more important? Is it the example of John, or is it the life of Jesus that we, we really need to follow? And we're going to find out that the answer is uh, we can learn from both. However, as Scripture clearly states, our, our eyes need to be firmly directed on, on the Lord. Uh, so as we, as we begin, if you just join me in a word of prayer... And we'll start diving into the Word. But Heavenly Father, we uh, we come before you this morning, lifting our hearts, uh, uh, kneeling before you, uh, bowing our heads. Lord, uh, we come before you knowing that you are a holy God. We come in reverence. Uh, Lord, we just long to worship you. Father, you are worthy of all worship. Lord, it is... It is impossible to be able to count all of the blessings that you have bestowed upon us as your children, as your church. Lord, uh, even in the midst of this crisis that, that we have uh, in our nation, God, we know that you are in the middle of it. We know that you are drawing people to you. We know that you are revealing Jesus Christ, and we lift up our praise to you for that, Father. We pray that you would use this uh, this current epidemic to be able to reveal uh, your glory, the power of the cross, and life from an empty grave, reveal Jesus who in all of the things declared to us in the Bible are true, and that he, he is sitting on the throne right next to you, and that one day he's going to come back, he's going to collect his church, he's going he's gonna to deal with sin on the earth, but he is going to be our king forevermore. Lord, we eagerly wait for that day. We, we pray for, uh, for Jesus to be seen face to face by all of, all of your children, uh, Lord. But we just pray that 
you would use these circumstances in our world just to help us see Jesus. Even for your children here, your, your, your Christians, your sons and daughters who uh, sometimes, sometimes get distracted by the things uh, passing by our eyes, Lord, I pray that you would remind us who you are and that it would only increase our faith, our dependence, our obedience, and submission to you. And Lord, so as we dive into your word, Father, I pray that it would just be you that is seen and that we could take away so many things that are found in these verses, Father, but it would be that one main thing, if that was all there was, it would be one main thing for each individual person listening, tailored to them, uh, Lord, that you would just make it so large, so loud, uh, that it would be uh, immediately grabbed a hold of. Father, we, uh, we are excited to dive into your word, and we just ask for your hand of blessing. Lord, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, he, he has one of the most unique missions in, in all of Scripture, in all of the, the New Testament especially, and we're going to dive into that a little bit. And I'm going to give you a lot of references uh, from John chapter 1, because in order to understand John chapter 3, it's really understanding the life of, of John the Baptist and several of the things that are listed out before us are, are found in John chapter 1. There's a couple in Isaiah. Uh, there's a little bit in, even in the book of Hosea that, that we're going to uh, look at just briefly. Uh, but if you could turn your, your, your Bibles, if you haven't already, uh, to John chapter 3 and just begin reading with me. We're going to start verses uh, 22. And we're going to stop at 30 uh, and, and begin to break those down. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom have testified, Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answers and says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And we hear that, we hear verse 30 repeated all the time. Uh, many sermons, uh, conferences, workshops, even counseling scenarios, that verse is used, but we oftentimes miss the context and the, the, the great value and importance of the lesson that is given to us in these, in these eight, nine verses. And starting in verse 22, we, we see that Jesus is not in Jerusalem. He's not in Jerusalem. He's actually in the countryside. He's gone off out of the heart of the city, out of the heart of his people. He's in the Judean countryside. And as I think about that, it is, it is amazing to me when you read through the Gospels how many times Jesus is not in Jerusalem ministering to his people. 
He's there briefly. He comes for, for festivals. He comes for the uh, ceremonies, uh, uh, sacrifices. He, he, I mean, he's there at those specific times. But most of his ministry does not take place in the heart of Jerusalem. It takes place on the outside. And what really stands out to me, just, just thinking about this, is that Jesus most often left downtown Jerusalem in order, uh, in order to bring the gospel to people who would listen. To people who needed a physician, who needed uh, something greater in their life, who desired something greater. He went directly to people who desperately sought after God. And that just fills my heart with joy. Because I know, I know full well that even in the midst of our struggles at work or at home or, or even our, our churches or our government or whatever the case may be, that God still sends us to people who desperately want to hear the truth. Right? And you can take comfort in that. And even though in our current circumstance with buildings being closed and businesses shutting down, that people need Jesus. They need Jesus, and God is so faithful and he's, and completely sovereign that he's going to send you and I. He's going to send faithful children to be able to minister to those who are, are truly and desperately in need. And I have, I have three thoughts. I have three thoughts that, that goes with this. And the first being, a lot of Jesus' ministry takes place not only in the countryside, but in Galilee and, and Samaria. Right, in those places that people would naturally gravitate to or walk past. And he wouldn't have to deal with politicians. Jesus regularly went to where, where those uh, uh, pharisaical politicians that, that we talked about last week viewed as the lowest of the lows, or even Samaria as, as uh, you know mixed dogs, uh, mixed race individuals. He went there because that is the people who desperately needed to hear the saving grace of God's word to, to find the, the savior of the world. That is why Jesus oftentimes went out into the countryside, into Galilee, into Samaria, and that's what uh, and God just drew people to Jesus in these, these poor, uh, uh, smaller, broken down towns and, and had to sit out in, in uh, mountainsides just so that many people could come and listen to him feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, which was more like 11 to 15,000, maybe even 20,000 people altogether if you counted women and children. Um, but the second thought is, Jesus in this, in this uh, period of time did not baptize these individuals personally. So I know the word says in, in 22, says these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land in Judea and there he remained with them and baptized, but we have to look ahead to, to John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4, and it gives us this little breakdown and a reminder. It says this, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, right? He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So number one, we get a description of the different lands that uh, that Jesus traveled through and preached in the direction that God wanted him to go. But number two is that, that illustration that Jesus brought the word and had his disciples do the work of the baptizing. So that way he 
didn't interfere with, with silly disputes or he, he had a bigger mission that was really uh, that Jesus was trying to, to accomplish instead of just baptizing with water, even though that's part of uh, the commands that, that we are to follow. This is, and the third one, the third thought that I have when just thinking about when Jesus traveling all over the place is that John himself, John the Baptist, was already preparing the hearts of people before Jesus came physically onto the scene. Right? And just thinking about this personally, uh, you and I know full well that nothing happens out of the blue. Right? I'm going to remind you that there are no coincidences. So in this regard, before Jesus even, even set foot on the earth, there was already a plan for John the Baptist to go out into these remote countrysides and preach the Word of God, to prepare people for the entrance of the Savior of the world, for Jesus Christ. And in John uh, chapter 1 and verse 23 says, this is John speaking, it says, I, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This is also in Isaiah 40. Uh, or really quoted from Isaiah 40, but that was that was his mission. That's what he was doing. Now, just imagine, just imagine with me the power and the energy that was in that countryside. You have got John the Baptist preaching over here. You've got Jesus preaching over here, and they're preaching relatively the same message. Jesus is expounding on John's uh, John's message that that he gave. But just imagine the power of of two perhaps the most uh, 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 greatest preachers in biblical history. We know Jesus is number one, right? That isn't, that's not even a question. Jesus is number one, greatest teacher. But John the Baptist perhaps could have been uh, number two on that list. Arguably, uh, it'd be fun to debate and talk about and just you know examine the ministry life of different individuals in the Bible. But that was his mission, preach the word of God. I preach salvation, preach repentance. Right? So, did you ever stop to think what made their words so powerful? When you go to a church and you hear somebody preach, or, or even uh, on your phone or a tablet, and it, it grabs a hold of your heart, do you ever stop to think what words oftentimes uh, are, are preached? And what, what was the two messages that both of these men preached regularly? Right? Something great to consider, and it's very simple. Very simple for us to consider. It's this. Number one, repent and seek God. I mean, that was John the Baptist through and through. It was also Jesus regularly. Uh, that's how he started. Repent. Repent. Seek God. Two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God. right, And then love people uh, afterward. But it all starts with repenting. Asking for forgiveness. Letting go of the sin. Grabbing on to something greater. Uh, putting on righteousness. The second, the second message that both men preached was the upcoming kingdom of God. And this is where Jesus spent a lot of his time. Directly after repentance, you know, Jesus would talk about, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's what, a thing, or what is going to be necessary in order for you to inherit eternal life. And John is, listen, there is someone coming after me that is going to unfold the kingdom of God or display it to you personally. So why is it? 
right? Why is it that we have come to believe, we as people, generally speaking, we, we have come to believe that we can't preach repentance and seeking God because we're afraid that it might offend people. That we have to preach only the aspects that people are, we believe, are going to gravitate toward. Uh, love. God is love, and He is. And by all means, we're not going to take away from any of the loving aspects that God is. But we forget that repentance and forgiveness of God is one of His greatest acts of love. We forget that when He instructs us and corrects us as a father to children, no matter how fun or challenging that correction may be, is one of His greatest acts of love. But why are we so afraid of upsetting people instead of honoring God uh, in, in our process around our country? You know, it, we could take a great lesson from John the Baptist here, from, from the life of Jesus Christ. A, a great lesson that says we should be focused on the saving of souls and having people be confronted with where they stand before God, what their what their sin is before God, because they're not going to see God unless they see their sin, and that's what God reveals in each one of us. Right? That's the faithfulness of God that reveals in it, uh, that reveals our heart. Are are these not the two great themes that exist in the Old and New Testament? Right, repent. Seek God once again, keep Him as number one, and hey, if you're obedient and submissive, you get to inherit the kingdom of God. You get to inherit the promised land. Right? Are, are these not the two themes? Let, let, let's not be so focused on trying to win people by how we think we need to win them by, and let's just give them the straight word of God. The straight loving aspects of who Jesus is, why He came, what the purpose of John the Baptist was in, in, in a you know, in this story. So we see in verse 23, verse 23, that there is a description of where John is preaching, and it's only, it's only a couple miles, potentially, from, from where Jesus was. So we have a proximity issue, which shouldn't be an issue, but as you know too well, two A-type personalities, right, two teachers, two well-respected individuals come uh, come together at some point there is going to be some friction there's going to be some sort of conflict with people and with the the other thing that, that comes about with this is John is in Samaria he's in the region of Samaria so he's not in downtown Jerusalem either right he is out where people need to hear the gospel that I can't say it enough you and I that's where we need to be right we need to go exactly where people want to to hear the word. Not where we think we can bring them, but where they are at to hear the word of God. So these two verses, they, they set the stage for a dispute that we still fight today. Who is our Lord? And who are we supposed to follow? Right? What a dispute that lays out there. Do we not battle with these same questions regularly in our life? In verse 25, it points down to that. If you skip down to there, there arose a dispute right, between John's disciples and some of the Jews. Now naturally, when different leaders stand before you, this type of dispute is going to arise amongst the people. Right? It kind of reminds me when I was a kid, especially, especially guys, right, boys. 
when you're when you get here with your, your friends and you're trying to be macho. My dad is bigger than your dad, and my dad is stronger than your dad, or my dad can beat your dad up. I had a lot of these conversations growing up for some dumb reason or another. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that most most boys have these these conversations, but ultimately it comes down to who is greater, who's the greatest, right? Who is better for me to follow? John, that is recorded for us, John the Baptist answers all of these questions for us, and here's why you can't, right? There's four things that we are going to open up and study of why he answers uh, these questions in the manner that he does in the following verses. Number one, he knows who God is. He does, he, there's no doubt when it comes to that. He knows who God is and that his sovereignty is perfect. His decisions that God makes, his timing is absolutely perfect. Number two, he knows what the people actually need. They need the Savior of the world. They don't need him to be the Savior. He, they, they need Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Number three, they, John understands what his mission is. His mission is to prepare the way for the, the Messiah to, to uh, uh, continue to preach or begin his ministry be able to pay for the sins of the world, to be able to give us eternal life. And he knows the last thing, he knows uh, whom he is in comparison of Jesus. Right? Looking at the Savior of the world, the, the, the promised uh, Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ, right, the delivered Christ, he knows who he is in comparison with Jesus Christ. When you have those four things answered for you, your conviction, your stand for biblical truth is unwavering. There's no doubt, there's no shaking, there's, there, there's uh, uh, no wavering on who God is and what he wants you to do. So we have this dispute, right? This dispute arises because these four things are not in everybody there in John the Baptist. So what, is, what does the dispute appear to be on, on the surface? Or what does it appear to be about on the surface of things when you read it? says uh, in 25 and 26 says there arose a dispute between some of the, some of John's disciples and and the Jews about purification and they came to John and said to him rabbi right he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified behold he is baptizing and all are coming to him so really it, it appears that the dispute is about baptismal ministries of John and Jesus Right, the difference in the baptismal ministries of John and Jesus. Were they different? Probably not. Right? Probably not. But that's how people's perception uh, saw it at that time. And it's really in regards to the purification or cleansing the body by immersing oneself in water. It's the, the cleansing washings, the, uh, the ceremonial washings that, that go into that. As, as in with many of our life issues, what is said first in public is not necessarily what the real problem is. So what is the real dispute about? Verse 26, as we just read, he's over there, he's testifying, he's baptizing, and people are coming to him. So let me give you, let me give you the, the real reasons, right? Here, here's the big one. People are going to Jesus instead of John the Baptist, and they don't like it. That's the big issue. So what did this reveal about John's followers, or in all reality, uh, uh, people in general? Number one, 
jealousy. They were jealous that, that more people were going to John than they were to Jesus. Number two, they were getting irritated and angry uh, for potentially losing their their place, right? Uh, or or for, for not having a, what they thought was their measuring standard of how successful their ministry was. Number three, there was a longing for the former days of John's ministry. You, you could see the, the, the fame, the glory, the power, the success. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 5, it says, and all, the, all the land of Judea, right? All the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Right? And we see the shift that's going from John to over to Jesus. Well, the fourth thing is getting more personal now as we go is that there's not enough attention on their leader. Not, not, not as much attention as they think needs to be on their leader, John the Baptist. And the fifth is that there is fear. Right? There's simple fear that John is losing his followers and maybe their status level in society amongst those people is going to be washed away and is diminishing. But John in his, uh, in his brilliance Right, it is just godliness that he has put on every day since he was born responds by answering those four things earlier, those four understandings that he has. And so in verse 27 it says, John answers and says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. And here is the, that first understanding, recognizing that God is sovereign. Right? recognizing exactly who God is. It was God, this is what John is really saying, it, it is God who brought people to them in the first place. It is the same God who is transferring those people over to Jesus Christ and bringing new people to Jesus Christ. It is God who gives us the opportunity to, opportunity to minister to people anyway. It is God who increases his blessing or decreases his blessing based off of his will, his sovereignty, our obedience, his ultimate plan. Uh, it is the will of God that people would be drawn to Jesus Christ. By the way, it is still the will of God that people would be drawn to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, 60, uh, verse 65, Jesus uh, re-illustrates this point when he says, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. People don't end up next to Jesus or seeking Jesus unless God leads them there first. And that is the beauty of God. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that everybody seeking God has been brought there. Uh, even today, for you listening, the words of God all over the country and any pastor, sermon, gospel, preaching church, you were brought there because that is where God led you. That's the will of God. And John knew this beyond any doubt. So he recognized that God is sovereign. His, his decisions, his timing, his will is absolutely perfect. Right, the second thing that we see in, in verse 28 when he says, you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, is that he has an understanding of who the people need. They need the Christ. right? They need Jesus. They need the promised Messiah. Right? And he's really, uh, earlier in John chapter 1 and verse 20, 
when he's talking with his people and, and people are asking him questions, he confesses and, he's, and doesn't deny, he says very clearly, I am not the Christ. I am not the appoint or, or, or anointed Son of God, Savior of the world. And later, just a couple verses after that, in verse 29 in chapter 1, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? So he points it out. He knows exactly who Jesus is. And then later, Paul even orchestrates this even greater for us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, when he says, uh, Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. See, John knew it was only Jesus who could go before God the Father on our behalf and remove our sin, our barrier, our veil uh, before the Father's presence. He couldn't do that himself. He was just a man, and he's pointing the way to Jesus Christ. And the third thing that we see is that there is an understanding. John has an understanding exactly what his mission and purpose was. In, in, in verse 28, at the end of verse 28, it says, I have been sent before him. It says, there's two ways, uh, two main ways of accomplishing this mission. Right, two, one. The first one is this, prepare the way of the Lord. Number one, prepare the way of the Lord. In John chapter 1, 23, again, in the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This is also found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Uh, that's where it originally came from. It says, but that is the first thing. Prepare the way of the Lord. Great mission. But there's a second one. In preparing the way, he had a specific task. Bear witness of the light of God. Savior of the world. Bear witness. This task is still applicable to every single Christian. We are called to bear witness of the light of God, of Jesus. Point people to where they can escape from the darkness, the burden of sin, the chains of bondage that, that come with it. John chapter 1, or earlier in chapter 1, in verses 7 through 9, he says, This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light, right, the light of God. It says that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Very clearly, he was not the Savior of the world. It says that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Or, if you, if you rearrange it a little bit, um, and, and look at some of the original texts, it says that was the true light, which coming into the world gives light to every man. This is what the world needs desperately. They need the light of Jesus Christ. They need hope, something greater. They need, they need the light to be able to fill the void that is created in the heart to remove the darkness that sits in there from our sin. And Jesus clearly states this himself in, in John chapter 12, verse 46. says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And then there's a fourth thing that John does, or... or, or uh, expounds upon in his understandings and that's found in verse 29 when he says he who has the bride is the bridegroom right but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled once again uh, John is is comparing himself to Jesus Christ right Jesus is the groom church you and I are the bride what a, a wonderful picture. Jesus is the groom waiting to marry his bride. 
John is the friend. And he's like the best man standing off the side, holding on the rings, just waiting for things to go on so, so he can celebrate. Now John is the friend, the witness, the testifier of the marriage. Just as a regular, uh, any wedding that goes on, there has to be witnesses to be able to sign on a marriage certificate, on the documents. This would be John the Baptist testifying of the greatness of Jesus Christ. So John, or Jesus is the one who is actually preparing the marriage, or preparing the body. It's not that Jesus himself needs to be prepared. He's already perfect in all of his glory. But you and I, uh, we need some continual transformation, uh, grace of God, forgiveness of God. Uh, we need some love. Man, sometimes we just need some, some hard truths to be able to help us in, in this fashion as well. But John is the one, he's waiting to celebrate, right? As soon as, as, soon as a couple walks out the door, as soon as the marriage is done, flowers, uh, rice, uh, cheering, clapping, uh, singing even, uh, just depending on where you are, is, is what is going on. That's John's role in this whole thing. And that's why he says, in the end, he says, Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled at the end of verse 29, because his joy is made complete when the groom and the bride arrive together. His joy is made complete. That's what Jesus does for us. He makes us complete in everything, especially our joy. And I don't know about you, but I know about it full well when my joy level is low and I just need more of Jesus. Right? I feel miserable or uh, mopey, right? And I, I just don't like it. I don't like it at all. But when Jesus is alive and passionate inside of my heart, I am filled with joy, especially when I know I'm doing exactly what God has asked me to do that day, when I'm seeking after his face, talking to people about the Lord, even teaching the word of God, filled with joy because it is God radiating from, from the heart, from the word. In Hosea chapter 2, it gives us the great picture in verses 6 through 10 of this marriage picture. Right? It says, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouths the names of, of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more, so that all the false gods will be taken away. And in that day I will make a covenant with them, with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shadow from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. That is our picture, the great wedding that, that lays before us. And John gives us one last truth. And this is the one we were talking about. Verse 30, one last truth. He must increase and I must decrease. What is he really saying? Uh, my ministry, John's ministry, must come to an end. And Jesus' ministry needs to be forefront above all else. Right? As J. As J. Vernon McGee puts it, John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet who walks into the pages of the New Testament to announce the coming of the Messiah. And then he steps aside when he arrives. And then he steps aside. But that is the, that is the mission that, it, that goes on there. And John does this with such grace and humility and, and submission to the, the superiority of the Son of God, uh, God's chosen Messiah of Jesus Christ. 
And this is the place where we all find ourselves one day. There's choices, there's decisions that, that we have to make. Right? Here's the biggest question that looms in front of us right now. Do we choose to promote Jesus' ministry? Or do we choose to promote our ministry or the ministry of someone else above God? Do we choose to promote the name of Jesus Christ himself? Or, in my case, do I choose to promote the name of pastor above the name of God? We all have to make this decision, moment by moment, day by day. Because the reality is, and, and any, any God-fearing pastor is going to tell you this, the reality is there's no power in our name. What we do here on this earth still can't save you. Our role as Christians, as sons and daughters, as teachers, as, as prophets, as ministers of the gospel, is to point you to Jesus Christ, just like John the Baptist did. That is our role because it is Jesus who lays out all of our problems and covers them in his blood. And in case you're struggling with that question, this is why John gives us the following five, ver five verses in, in 31 through 36. And I'm going to read those to you, and I just want to break them down real quick, very simply, uh, as to which, uh, uh, what each person offers. So in 31 through 36, it says, He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. He who has received this testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And just looking, still keeping it in context with the comparison of, of John's ministry compared to Jesus' ministry, and that's what this is the summation of, really. There's two things that John can offer, or, or that he can, he can clearly state. He's born of the earth. He's born like you and I, right here. Uh, earthly mother, earthly father. So he has earthly wisdom to be able to give. The list doesn't go beyond there in this description. But then we see the description of Jesus Christ. He's above all things. He offers heavenly wisdom. He testifies perfectly of God and of God's will. And he gives us the Holy Spirit as our guide. He gives us faith, uh, that, uh, faith in him as the Son of God that gives us eternal life. And he removes the wrath of God from our life, from our punishment. Right? We don't have to face that. And I don't know about you, but I would, when I look at the two different lists, Jesus' ministry far outweighs John's ministry. And that's exactly what he is pointing to. John puts it very clearly. What is our personal ministry compared to the ministry of Jesus Christ, of course, compared to that of the, the life of Jesus Christ? Yes, it is powered, it is fueled, it is necessary here in this earth that God uses us in a great fashion, but it's because Jesus lives inside of us. It is because we are called to point to the Son of God. It's called to, to tell people to repent because the Son of God is near and at hand. It is called to point to the heavenly kingdom that, that awaits us 
when we choose Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. Those are the things that we need to be talking about regularly. It's amazing that the same messages that John and Jesus both were, were talking about are the same messages that people still need to hear in this world. That you and I still need to be reminded of or perhaps even hear for the different elements for the first time. So if I were to leave you one last statement to think about or, or to, to do, it'd be this, very simply. Promote, profess, and proclaim Jesus above all else. Right? Promote the importance of serving Jesus first. Profess that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which people can be saved. Proclaim that Jesus is my Lord, he is my God, and as far as me and my house, there is no others in whom we will serve. After that, you leave everything else in the hands of Jesus. So church, I just wanna, I just wanna encourage you by looking at these words, and hopefully they, they came alive to you as well, you know, as much as, as they did for me by the grace of God, but I just wanna encourage you. We have a job, we have a mission here on this earth, and it's a little different for everybody else as far as how it's accomplished, but it's very simple. Promote, profess, proclaim Jesus in exactly where God places you. If we can do that and focus on those things over everything else, we will find a blessing from the hand of God. We will find the power of the hand of God. We will find security in a crazy virus-filled world as we have it right now. We will understand there is nothing to fear in this world when our God sits above us and holds us strong. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I just, I praise you. I, I thank you for this illustration and this example. Lord, it is a great reminder to me personally that we have a job and responsibility here on this earth. Right? Our, our, our responsibility is simply point to the Savior of the world. Talk about the Savior of the world. Right? Give the same messages that Jesus himself gave. There's no greater words than, all, than, than what Jesus has to say. We, we can't create better words or illustrations or, or examples. Father, I pray that as things sit today in our, our country, our towns, our worlds, that we can truly say the words of John, that our ministry takes a back seat to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Right? That is not that it's not important, it is extremely important by how we follow, but that it is Jesus who people cling to. It is not people that they chase after, it is God whom they seek after, they chase after that they listen to for, for answers, and that we uh, fulfill our responsibility in loving people by giving them the truth of the word, by uh, grace in their life, by offering them forgiveness and different aspects of things go, uh, things of how they go. Lord, I, I, I just pray this morning that people would see you as the most important thing the most important person, the most important aspect of their day, uh, the most important character 
that they need to put on, Father, which is you, just because as, as we see it, there's no greater truth that we, we see that things of this world pass away. And the important things are those that last for eternity. Lord, if we do have a problem in our, in our struggles with you, Lord, I pray you would reveal them before our eyes, that we'd be quick to repent. And Lord, that our focus would be on the kingdom of Jesus. Not how we think it should go, not off our own wisdom, but off of your clear word. When we repent, you are faithful to forgive and restore. And we praise the Lord, Father, that is your plan, that is through your grace and mercy, that it is through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, that it was all accomplished. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus today. We ask all this in the name of our precious and beloved Savior, Jesus. Amen. I hope that God continues to reveal these important truths to you uh, wherever he takes you, wherever he goes, or wherever he sends you. Uh, remember to keep him number one in your life.